right? I take it this is for me, Jerry? Yes. Or is that an offering to the Buddha? Same thing, isn't it? Same thing. Mm -hmm. So, awareness, compassion, wisdom, and strength. The problem we face as uh, human beings is that we're really good planners. You raise your eyebrows with skeptical uh, doubt, perhaps. But we are. We're amazing planners. The human species has survived because they're social. They work together to hunt, gather seeds, gather nuts. But basically, the human species has no strength. They're not as fast as the lion. They're not as good eyesight as the vulture. They're not... Um, what? They're not as strong as the bear. You go through the list. We have, uh, we have very little going for us uh, as a species except our, our ability to be social. In other words, our ability to work together. And it's our ability to work together that's made us hunters and gatherers and so on and so on. And so this, this great strength of the human being and the great strength of the human species is it's actually, curiously enough, it's social function. And you'll find that when societies start to break down, uh, one of the first signs of the breaking down of the society is the breaking down of the social function, that that people can't work together anymore. Um, In a modern world, the modern technology has helped us to be more and more independent as individuals. So um, this ability of the human being to be successful is based on their social organization and their skills to be social. And on the basis of that socialization, it also created some evolutionary changes in the organism that allowed us to be more skillful at being social. For instance, we are the only animals, mammals, that talk good. (laughs) You know, monkeys can talk and parrots can talk, but they can't convey the subtleties of information that the human being can convey. And the reason we're so good at that is because we learned, basically, our larynx dropped down into our throat, which is why uh, you can talk. Hmm? The sound box dropped from up here to down here where it is in most of the primates. And on the basis of that, that's why you can't both swallow and breathe at the same time. So if you notice, whenever you swallow, you're not breathing, because you're breathing, the swallowing blocks the breathing passages, which doesn't happen in, in other mammals. But that ability to communicate, that ability to talk, is hugely important for us in conveying all that information and knowledge that we need in order to live in a modern society. Uh, navigating banks and post offices and the subways and the trains and the planes and doing all our jobs in some way or other, probably for most of us involved in some kind of communication. So this ability to talk. So now you have the, the social aspect of the being, the communicative aspect of the being, the working together aspect of the being, and then all of these things come together basically in how do we live together, how do we work together, how are we together, and also, of course, and how are we alone. Now, the interesting thing about being together is it almost always creates an appetite. But this appetite always tends to have a thing attached to it. So the minute you have the pizza, you want the Coke? Mm -hmm. A beer? Pizza and beer? Tea? Anybody want tea? Pizza and tea? Lemonade? Water? Some fries? fries? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you're going to have to have ketchup. ketchup. And then you're going to have to have Salt, and then you're going to have to have, then you're going to have dessert. Yeah, we got there. Chocolate, anyone? Ladies? Coffee? Tea? The other aspect of being in a group is rules. And how many of you like rules? 
And yet without the, without the rules, there's no group. So the rules create another form of community, don't they? So, but the thing that everything leads to everything else, the nature of appetite it does always leads to something else. I was riding over with Jerry, and Jerry's a handyman with tools and stuff. And he says that whenever he gets a cut or a bruise uh, working on a, his car or whatever he's doing, it's because he's on the next step. In other words, he's undoing this wrench, but he's thinking, uh, sorry, undoing this bolt, but he's thinking, well, that wire's next, right? And so it's in the process of being in the next moment. And if you look at the nature of your consciousness on a pretty regular basis, you're always one step ahead of yourself, right? Or perhaps one step behind yourself, but very rarely are you actually in this moment just as it is. And so our appetite is what comes next. Maybe you're thinking, of, well, what are you going to do after this class? Or what do you have to do after this class? Or, or uh, what did you do before you came? Or where are you going to be tomorrow? Or what do you got to do tomorrow? So the nature of appetite or nature of addiction is the same thing. The appetite or the nature of addiction is what's next. Uh, it's uh, very rarely as human beings, because we're such good planners, very rarely as human beings is the message just to be right here now as it is. Blaise Pascal said, uh, the famous French philosopher said, that all suffering stems from the inability to sit in an empty room and do nothing. And if you look at our modern lifestyles and if you look at our modern activities, you're pretty much going from one thing to the next all day long, right? Is that fair enough? Even if you're in the park, you're thinking, well, okay, I've got 15 minutes. I, get, I walked over to the, the gazebo there and uh, maybe I'll get a tea over there and then I'll be back to the car. I've got to be back to the house by 6.30. Right? No. Is this not our lives? And so the nature of our appetite is that everything we do, almost all day long, from beginning to end, is in the next moment. We're only partly in this one, and we're a good part onto the next one. What comes next? What happens with my boyfriend in the future? What happens with my kids in the future? What am I going to do on the weekend? What am I going to do after this class? So this appetite thing, which is the nature of appetite, is what comes next. Because in this moment, if you look very clearly, there's no appetite. If you rest just clearly and calmly and comfortably in this moment, there's nothing really that you need, right? But largely, you're in the next moment. And as human beings in a modern world, we're, we're conditioned and trained to be in the next moment constantly. What time did you have to be at school? What time did you get out of school? What were your duties after school? You know, what time, and, and you get conditioned early on, don't you? Anybody have any animals? Do they know what time supper time is? Do they know when the bowls come out, when the food gets put in the dish, right? They're prepared. So the appetite is prepared for the next moment, prepared for the next moment. Now, the nature of the appetite, the nature of the addiction, is it only leads to the next moment. So the nature of the satisfaction of the appetite, or the nature of the satisfaction of the moment, is that it isn't contained in the moment. The appetite, or the addiction, or the, or, or the desire, or the seeking, or the yearning is always somewhere other than where we are. It's always one step or two steps ahead of us. And this, by definition, cannot produce peace. It cannot produce contentment. So you can say, well, all right, I hear this message, and so I'm just going to rest peacefully in this moment and do absolutely nothing. For how long? Well, never mind your habitual mind and your habitual emotions that are continuously going to kick up stories. You're going to start thinking about your kids. You're going to start thinking about your work. You're going to start thinking about your relationship. You're going to start thinking about your future. Leaving that aside for the moment, the thing that's going to come up first and foremost, if nothing else happens, is what? Boredom. Boredom, because you're addicted to events. You're addicted to the next sensation. You're addicted to the next 
eventing, right? So it seems like boredom because there's nothing going on. Does that seem fair enough? Well, the funny thing about peace, or the funny thing about contentment, and therefore the basis of compassion, is it's in the moment when there's nothing going on, so-called boredom, when everything is actually in harmony, at peace, you feel compassionate, you feel peaceful, you feel wonderful, you feel great. You feel great in the moment. The minute the mind starts going to the next appetite, you don't. And the first tendency to call that is boredom. But something else is going to drive you off that cushion. In other words, it's winter's coming. So you start thinking, well, good winter, got to get the firewood in. Or if you're a farmer, you got to think, got to get the crops in. So the idea of the human being is in their very thing that makes them go forward as a species, their ability to plan, their ability to organize, their ability to think, their ability to kind of, okay, the caribou are going to come down through this passage in February. So we want to have the tribe over here in February, and but then the, we can do the ice fishing in December, so we've got to be over there in December. It has great survival value, doesn't it? So then how do you marry these two? How do you marry the survival value of planning and organizing and predicting the future and taking care of business and making sure you have a retirement plan if it's going to be worth anything at all in 30 years from now is another matter, but never mind. With this idea of just being presently in the moment in the moment. Well, the thing about being presently in the moment in the moment in terms of meditation is it's quite easy to do because you just meditate for an hour a day. <laughs> for an hour a day or two hours a day, you do your meditation. You don't have to do anything. You, you have, what, another 22 hours. Take off how much do you need to sleep these days. So you have 16 hours a day to do all the running around you want. But in those two hours a day when you do absolutely nothing, you can't do it for very long because you are habitualized, you're addicted, you are consumed by the appetite of having to do something next. And in that process, you lose the peace of your being, the sense of well-beingness in your being, and you get addicted to the next object, which can't possibly produce contentment. And so we're a bit like that greyhound dog. You know, the greyhound dogs that chase the mechanical rabbits around the racetrack. Unlike a dog, we seem not to learn. If you let that greyhound dog catch that rabbit, that dog will never chase that mechanical rabbit again. Won't do it. Might chase a real rabbit, but won't chase the mechanical one. Whereas we as human beings will continue to chase the same elusive quality forever and ever and ever in front of us because we've never quite come to terms with the fact that we're not going to catch it. And the elusive mechanical rabbit is, what do we call it? Happiness. Happiness. We're always chasing it. Contentment, whether you call it happiness or contentment or peace of mind, you can't possibly catch it if you're constantly chasing it into the next moment. And so it's not for nothing that we have a highly addictive society. It's not for nothing that we have a society that uh, suffers from stress and anxiety and chronic fatigue and all the other kind of the eating disorders of bulimia and anorexic, constantly chasing the perfect body image, constantly chasing the perfect relationship, constantly chasing the perfect job, never content. Can't possibly happen. So, all right, let's give us the two hours a day where you learn to sit in meditation and do absolutely nothing contentedly. The, the first thing that happens is you tend to get bored. Now, the nature of boredom, boredom by definition is, is the removal or the absence of your habit. So the minute you get bored, what you're really looking at is your habit's been interfered with. In other words, your addiction. So if, uh, if the heebie-jeebies 
uh, are the nature of the withdrawal from heroin addiction, or the DTs is the nature of withdrawal from alcohol addiction, the nature of the withdrawal from mental addiction is boredom. The first thing up is boredom. It's like the withdrawal from the habits, the nature of the mind's habit to try to find happiness in the next moment. And so you go, well, I'm bored, I'm going to do something. So you get up and do it, and then, of course, now you're back in the cycle, right? You seem okay. Now, the nature of a drug, like alcohol or heroin, and you can put in work and, you know, sex, work, drugs, children, entertainment, uh, jogging, <laughs> even, there are even good habits that are still addictive behaviors in terms of your happiness. The nature of this is that when you get something like heroin, you're getting the very same chemical release that you're getting when you're just walking around on the street, but the difference is it's in more intense. It's like a bigger hit. So when you are addicted to heroin, you're getting an endorphin or... A, anyway, whatever it is. Well, for now, we use dopamine. You, you get the dopamine rush, but you get it big. And so what happens, the nature of the big dopamine rush is that it's overpowering. In other words, it's a big hit, like a big sugar rush. What happens when you have a big sugar rush? You feel charged, don't you? You feel awake, you feel bright, you feel alive, you feel... You miss everything. (laughs) I mean, you miss the little ant crawling across the leaf, or you miss the dog kind of chasing its tail in the yard, but you sure feel good. For how long? 20 minutes, right? 20 minutes on a sugar rush. So after about 20 minutes to half an hour of sugar rush, you go through the crash cycle. And then, of course, you need the next, right? Now, this explains French fries and all sorts of foods that you eat because you get the big carbohydrate sugar rush. It gives you the big energy boost for about 20 minutes, but you don't get the delivered nutrients and minerals. And so 20 minutes later, you're hungry. And so you go back for more. So you get bigger and bigger and fatter and fatter as a, as a society because you're going for the hit, you're going for the addiction, you're going for the rush, you're not going for the, the well-being nature of the thing. The well-being nature of the thing, of course, is to wait, is to allow the apple that you're eating to give you, yes, the sugar rush, but also to deliver the minerals and vitamins that are contained in the apple that aren't coming in the other food. That will sustain you. So in half an hour from now, you're still feeling good, not as good as the initial dopamine hit, but you're still feeling good and you don't get the crash. And so you're not hungry after 20 minutes and so you don't go back to the fridge to get the next ice cream cone or the next bag of french fries or the next bag of potato chips and so on and so on. So the ability to come to terms with the addiction or the ability to come to terms with the appetite is the inability to come to terms with the the mindfulness that's present in just this moment. And the mindfulness in just this moment never needs anything. Now we're back to Blaise Pascal, the inability to sit in an empty room and do nothing. Insofar as you overcome the addictive pattern to go to the next moment, either for food or whatever, consciousness can reside pleasantly in this moment, undisturbed for a period of time. And of course, in order to do that, you have to break the addiction. And the addiction is to the chemical rush. The addiction or the, or the hit is to the dopamine rush. Activity, you're addicted to being busy. You're addicted to doing stuff. You're addicted to running around. You're addicted to this, that, or the other. Insofar as you sit still and do nothing, the first thing that's going to come up is boredom. The next thing that's going to come up is it's dangerous. Can you see the connection? Well, if I sit here and do nothing long enough, I'm going to starve to death. Or maybe the house is burning down. Or I should check the... Maybe the stove is on or... 
Did I check my answering machines? Maybe the doctor called me back. Eh? The next thing after the boredom is the fear. Then after the fear, the next thing up is going to be the anxiety. And so now all you've done is sat still for 20 minutes. In the first five minutes, you got bored. In the next five minutes, you've got kind of uh, fearful. And in the next five minutes, you get anxious. And so now this cycle only changes its conditions depending on the length of time you sit. So if you happen to be a meditator and you meditate for an hour, then at what, at what point does the boredom kick in? One minute and three, one hour and three minutes. The fear is going to kick in at one hour and 10 minutes and the anxiety is going to kick in at one hour and 20 minutes. So if you study the nature of the cycle, you'll see that the cycle is going to be repeated regardless of whether you meditate for 10 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day or an hour a day or five hours a day. At the end of the five hours of your day, the same cycle is going to kick in. And, and this is where you have to come to terms with it, I think. At this point, you have to recognize that that cycle of addiction is rooted in a very strong sense of survival in your being. So rather than fighting against that, you should look at it reasonably from the point of, am I going to starve to death in the next five minutes? Unlikely. Is the house going to burn down in the next five minutes? Unlikely. Is the world going to come to a screeching halt if I don't do anything for the next hour? Unlikely. But the idea that you should never feel this way is anti-survival. So you should feel anxious. You should feel bored. You should feel nervous. And you should have appetites. And you should feel restless. But on your terms, not on the terms of the knee-jerk reaction to conditioning that isn't operating in the moment. It's going to take you more than a day to starve to death. You could go all day without starving to death, right? You could go all day without having to run around, but you can't go all month without running around. Well, actually, in this society, you might because you have, you know, you have welfare and, um, you know, shelters and so on and so on. I mean, it's pretty hard to starve to death here, right? So the, the nature of the dialogue you're going to have in terms of uh, your appetite is, is this appetite actually conducive to the state I'm after? And if the state I'm after is calm, clear, presence of mind, awareness, mindfulness, then that's the choice you make. And if this mindfulness says, okay, we've got to fix the uh, heater on the car or we're going to freeze to death, then your mindfulness practice isn't changed. All that you've done is you've switched your mindfulness practice from the cushion. You've switched your mindfulness practice to fixing the car. But as Jerry pointed out to me on the car on the way over, right, the, the tendency where you lose to the addiction or you lose to the appetite is when you get one step ahead of where you are. And as I said earlier, the nature of the human beings' survival mechanism is to be one step ahead of where you are. So now how do we put these two together? For more information, please visit clearskycenter.org. That's C-L-E-A-R-S-K-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R dot org. Thank you.